Praise the Lord, everyone. Let's go to Numbers chapter 13. I'll begin reading verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers. Shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them? And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness to Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. Skip down to verse 25. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We come unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flowed with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwelt in that land, the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which thou hast searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land eaten up, the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there were, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were on our own side as grasshoppers, and so we were in the sight of the in their sight. For a few moments today, I want to talk to you about grasshopper mentality. Lord bless you, may be seated. Before I begin today, let me say what an incredible honor it is to be able to speak to you. And I pray today that I say something that will help you to become different. If you will allow me today, I read from this same text in the first service, but I have a different message for you than I had for them. If you'll allow me today, I want to step into the role of prophet and prophesy to you today. You are in a Pentecostal church today, and we believe that the Word of God is infallible. We believe that it doesn't change, and I don't get to interpret it the way I want to interpret it. I don't get to change it to match my theology. I have to take the Word of God for what the Word of God said. The Word of God is not difficult to understand if we just read it. It doesn't hide from anyone. Truth demands 
investigation. Lies say, don't look at me because you might see my flaws. So lies will scream and distract you into all kinds of different directions. Truth just says, go ahead, examine me. When you get through, I'll still be the same truth I was before you started because truth demands investigation. The story that I read to you today happens in the life of Israel at the time that God desired to take them into the land he had promised to Abraham. He had led them by a pillar of fire by day or cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And he had taken them on a journey. They came out of Egypt with things in their life God had to get out. He couldn't take them directly to the promised land because their 400 years of living in Egypt had caused them to become like Egypt. And so the journey he took them on, the purpose of that journey was to get Egypt out of their life. See, they had lived in Egypt so long that according to Edersham, a Jewish historian, that when that last plague came, which the firstborn of every family died, Edersheim says the reason God had to put blood on the doorpost is because the Israelites had looked, had lived in Egypt so long that they looked like and acted like the Egyptians they lived with. And the only way God could identify who was a Hebrew and an Egyptian was blood on the doorpost. And so when that death angel passed through and death took place and the land became a land of, of grief and they exited, they exited with Egypt. It took bitter water of the desert and a branch being put in that water to purify that water so that that water would kill the diseases they were bringing out of Egypt. Everything God took them through had a purpose and a plan. There was a reason for it. God took them on a journey and then he called Moses to a mountain. As Moses descended, ascended to the top of that mountain to interact with God, he did not go alone. There was a young man who went with him. That young man had made a commitment to Moses. There's not a lot of history about how he was, how he got to that position. But when Moses went up the mountain to interact with God, there was a young man who went with him by the name of Joshua. And his responsibility was to minister to Moses. When they come off of that mountain, they discover that the children of Israel, they are sent off by God after 40 days. And God says, Moses, I'm going to destroy all of them because they are worshiping a golden calf. And Moses interceded and God didn't destroy them because of Moses' prayer. And they come off of that mountain to discover that Israel, under the leadership of Aaron, had taken gold from all the people that came out of Egypt and made a golden calf out of it. And so Aaron, to appease the people, created worship. You're living in a day 
today that doesn't like the Bible, that doesn't like anything the Bible has to say. And your world today wants the Levites to change the gospel so it fits what they want to do. Because all they wanted to do was to have a feast and to play. God is not impressed with your talents. Only man is. God could care less what your talents are. He is not impressed at all by any of my talents. God is impressed by my commitment and my dedication to the people I choose to follow. God is looking for Joshua today because we're about to enter a promised land that was prophesied by Joel that in the last day there would be a revival that would sweep the land and that revival would combine a former rain and a latter rain together. Now, according to what the Bible says, I just added up the numbers. All I have left of life, according to the scripture, is 384 days because that's what God promised man. The odds are I probably won't see what God's going to do before he comes back. I may not ever see that revival happen, but you will. And this old man is here today to stand like Moses before the children of Israel and remind you there is a land to conquer and I give you the authority and the ability to conquer it. But don't let the world convince you to get the preacher to change the message because you don't like what the message says. To get into the promised land, God's way was to take them through Kadesh Barnea. He had led them for almost two years on a journey that should have taken six weeks. But God knew what needed to be taken out of their lives so that when they got there, they would not be become what that land was. So he brings them to Kadesh Barnea. Scripture calls it Kadesh, but it also had the name Barnea. Kadesh means holy. Barnea is place. So it's the place of holiness. He took them to this place to enter the promised land, the place of holiness. The world looks at us and they say, we're we're old-fashioned. We have too many rules. There are too many restrictions on what we are, what we do. But we don't have rules or restrictions. There's nothing that says, I have to do anything. I don't do things because they have no value to my life. I don't need them in my life. And as a result of not needing them in my life, they define what I do, where I go. I don't need them in my life. So I don't hang out at the bar. I don't need to numb my life, so I don't hang out at a crack house. 
Why? I don't need something to numb life because I haven't let life get me that point that I got to numb it. I have learned that in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And I can do all things through Christ's word strengthen me. I have the ability and the power to do anything I choose to do if I just let what's in here work. Joshua followed Moses to a mountaintop at least twice, possibly three times. He spent at least 80 days on that mountain. He didn't hear one word God said to Moses. He didn't get to interact, but he just knew he had a place to be, and what he wanted to do was to be there to take care of the man of God that was having a connection with God. When they went into the promised land, Joshua is one of those men that was asked to go. When you read the list of the story, it kind of changes a little bit because the list of the story says that of Ephraim, of the tribe of Ephraim, he sent Hoshea and he was part of those 12 spies. But at the end of defining who they are, Moses looked at Hoshea and said, you know, your name needs to change. Because Hoshea literally translates, I am Savior. And your name needs to be changed from I am Savior to the Lord is Savior. So your name will no longer be called Hoshea. Your name now will be called Yahashua or Joshua or Yeshua. And you will be remembered because you got a name change. When you get close enough to God and you follow God the way you should, you might get a name change because what your name represented may not need to be what God wants it to be. So he's going to start calling you by a different name. We find one in the New Testament by the name of Saul that became a Paul because he had a journey and a destiny. This end-day revival will be at least seven times greater than the book of Acts, possibly eight. If he gives the former and latter rain together, the former rain, according to the prophecy, or latter rain will be seven times the first. So seven plus one is eight. It could imply seven times seven. It could imply eight times seven. It's at least eight times greater. There is a revival coming. So I'm either going to be part of it or I'm not going to be part of it. I understand what the younger generation thinks about me because they told me so. And I have been told by a 30-something-year-old that you're just an old man on a soapbox and nothing you have to say is spiritual. So I do understand that your generation doesn't like me. But you know what? My, my hide stick as an elephant. It doesn't matter to me if you like me or not. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God has to say. And I'm going to tell you what God's desire is for your generation. Now, you're going to choose whether you participate or you don't participate. Us old people are either going to get with it or we better get out of the way or we'll get run over. Because we're not bringing it, you are. 
Joshua is the one who brought Israel into the promised land. It wasn't Moses. It was Joshua that led them there. And it will be you that leads this church to its next level. Hopefully, hopefully, we've hung around God long enough that you've seen what a move of God looks like. And you won't ever forget where you came from. But if you haven't, then all I'm telling you today is find you an altar. God don't need your talent. He needs your knees. And if you'll find an altar of prayer and you'll connect to God, there is no place that God can't take you because you're connected to him. So he doesn't need James. He doesn't need my talents. He doesn't need my abilities. I know all of my talents come from him, but he don't need them. He has angels that can outsing anybody in this room. He don't need our talents. You understand me? He needs me to be committed to what I stand for and not be willing to be moved. God brought Israel to a place of entrance and they wouldn't go because they were afraid of giants. Giants. You ever wonder how many giants there were? The way they said it, the whole nation's full of big, tall people. They're huge. The fact is, there's only possibly eight giants in the whole Old Testament. Only eight. Three were at Hebron. And an 80-year-old man by the name of Caleb that said, I can conquer this land. When they crossed Jordan, he said to Joshua, I want Hebron. That is mine. I'm going to take out everything that kept us from getting here the first time. So just give me that mountain because Enoch and your kids, I'm coming after you. You tormented us long enough and you will never have the ability to have authority over us again. And that 80-year-old man took out those first three giants. You know why a 14-year-old could walk by a brook and pick up five stones and meet the fourth one and not be afraid to, to enter into his presence? Because an old man at 80 years of age took out three. He was someone, he remembered, and he remembered what others had done. So when a giant shows up, he's not terrified. He just says great opportunity to show what God can do. Every time problems show up in your life, you need to live by the principle, this is a great opportunity for God to show everybody what God's able to do. Why? Because he's still healer. He's still deliverer. We sing about it. We sing the words. But I'm not sure it's got past the words into lifestyle. Do you believe God can heal? Jill, stand up. How long ago has it been? 15 years? 14 years? She come to my house one day crying. She entered the door. She's weeping. And we said, what's wrong? She said, the dentist just said he's found Two spots of cancer on my tongue. 
It was revealed by the light they used to let them know it's cancer. And I, they may have taken my tongue out. In the living room of my house, I wrapped my arms around her, said, not in my house. And I rebuked that cancer in the name of Jesus Christ. She went to all the specialists to follow it up. They never found one side of cancer after that. Why? Because he still can heal. I don't sing about it. I live it. He still delivers. God is not shocked by what's happening today. But we've let fear, giants, we can't overcome this. We can't get past this. We've let giants keep us from the greatest revival of our life. Somebody needs to pick up some stones today. Because when a 14-year-old killed a giant later in his life as he got old and got weak, he was fighting other giants. And the scripture records other people who killed giants in David's place because Joshua started the ball rolling. It wasn't David that showed us how to kill giants. It was an 80-year-old man who showed them how to kill a giant. And when that 80-year-old man said, that's my mountain, nobody's going to keep me from it. I will not let anybody keep me from my promise. I will not let anybody keep me from my destiny. I don't care what life may bring. I refuse to let life determine what I do. And I will take that mountain back. It belongs to God. Why does it belong to God? Because Abraham's buried there. Isaac's buried there. Jacob's buried there. And it belonged to the children of Israel. And Caleb said, just give me what belongs to me. That's mine. Why? Because I'm from the house of Judah. See, praise always brings the right report when giants are present. If you learn how to worship God correctly, it doesn't matter how many giants are around. You won't be terrified of the giant. You won't be affected by the giant. You won't care what the giants say. You'll just say, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, giant. All these 12 men had unique names. The first one, Shamua, meant renowned. Shaphat, he that judgeth. Caleb, you know what Caleb's name means? A dog. Now what parent names her kid dog? How would you like to spend your life being called dog? It didn't matter what they called him. That wasn't going to change who he was. Why? But a dog can teach us how to worship. Don't matter what's attached to your life. Your world has sold you a lie. 
Because your world says you can't be any better than the way you grew up. And that is a ball-faced lie. You can be anything you want to be, anytime you want to be it. You just have to choose to do it. Greater life is at the point of entering a revival that's going to change the end of time. And the key to determining whether that happens today or not is whether or not you're willing to keep climbing mountains and spend 40 days fasting just like Moses did and and follow the minister and not be afraid. See, the problem with your generation is you don't like nobody telling you what to do. You hate authority. It irritates I hear it all the time. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Well, get in your car and tell me how far you go before somebody tells you what to do. Matter of fact, you turn right, you won't even get a quarter of a mile until you get told what to do. If that light's red, you can't go. I don't care how bad you want to go. So you're told what to do. Why don't you get over this thing? There ain't nobody going to speak into my life. If you want to see revival, then you're going to need people speaking in your life that may speak things that you don't like. They may say things that irritate you. It doesn't matter. You, you may be up on a mountain not having a clue what's going on just a few hundred feet above you, and you hear the noise, but you don't understand the word. You see the communion. You don't get to participate. But at some point in your life, God will give you the opportunity to lead your people wherever he wants them to go and you'll become the Joshua of your day that's looking for someone to lead them and show them the way. You guys ever hear me complain about dark church? Y'all have heard that time or two, haven't you? It's okay to shake your head. You've heard me, haven't you? My brother just shared with me a few days ago. He said, well, James, you were right. I said, oh, he said, about that dark church stuff. Pew Research just came out and discovered that your generation hates dark church and they want people to turn lights on. The only reason you have dark church at a bright stage is to perform. And God don't need your performance. Listen to me. God don't need your talent. God needs your dedication. God needs your commitment. God needs you being willing to be a servant. If you ever told Brother Kilgore you was called to preach, you know what the first thing he gave you? Was not a pulpit. It was not a Sunday school class. He gave you a mop and a bucket and sent you to clean up all the toilets. I've cleaned all kinds of toilets at 2950 Broadway. I took toilets up and put toilets down. I've got junk out of toilets because your kids flush stuff down it to cause problems. I told you I was going to stand as a prophet today. 
You really want to know what apostolic church is about? You're experiencing it today. This is what God created us to be. This is how we were born. It's not what we can do or my talents I'm going to bring here. It's how committed I'm willing to be to just be a Joshua or even be a Caleb. See, I, I don't find that Joshua, entered, he, he didn't get involved in this report. It was Caleb. They still said, we can take this. It's, this is ours. We can do it. We outnumber them. There's more. We're, we're three times as many people. If you added all the people together that lived in that area, we outnumber them by at least three times. We, we, we can capture these people. But there's giants. I remember the first time I saw the Alamo. That was the most disappointing thing that I ever saw in my life. I'd seen all my history books and textbooks. And got this old building and it's sitting out on the side of a hill. And I walked between two skyscrapers and stepped out. And there's this rundown thing across the street. And I'm thinking... Boy, that's a disappointment. If I took a quarter and stuck it up, I could hide it. (laughs) So you let life cause you to see things bigger than they actually are. A giant is going to look massive if you're nose to nose. But if you'll get far away enough from him for your slingshot to work. You can take him down. You don't even have to have a gun. All you've got to have is the name of Jesus. See, that, that stone didn't kill that giant. His prayer killed that giant. You come to me with a sword and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of Yahweh, and that stone found its mark. And knocked him out. The sword took his head off. That's all it takes. Don't let life cause you to get grasshopper mentality. We get fearful, terrified. Oh, by the way, don't be stupid. You're not Superman. You can't walk on water. And don't do dumb things. I prayed for people who had the flu. I always ask them a question before I pray for anybody. What, what's the problem? I had the flu. So I just back up. I said, and how'd you get the flu? Well, I visited my friend. They had the flu. Well, don't come and ask God to fix your stupidity. <laughs> so you go do really stupid things, then you expect God to take care of you. So don't, But don't let the world terrify you into believing that you're hopeless or helpless. See, my Bible literally says in, in the book of Matthew that Jesus said and declared, Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Father's not a name, by the way. Matter of fact, if that scripture actually existed in the original text, 
it wouldn't matter anyway. Because when you tie things together with a conjunction and, what's the name of the Father? Jesus. He said, I killed my Father's name, so it's got to be Jesus. What's the name of the Son? Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost in my name. What's the name of the Holy Ghost? Well, it really doesn't matter. How do I know these things? Because I heard it every sermon from the time I was old enough to remember till I left at 20 years of age from an old white-headed man that preached the gospel that God gave the revelation to. What's that name? Jesus. If you're not baptized in the name of Jesus, you just got wet. Your sins have not been removed. They have not been remitted. It takes being buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the covenant act of circumcision of the New Testament to take place. And that's when he takes a scalpel and cuts off all the sin of your life so that your life is totally and completely rebuilt, renewed. We let life convince us we're broke. Can't do it. And we've, we've let life, we've let, you let the news media terrify you. Now, is COVID a bad disease? Yes, it is. So is the flu. So is TB. Anybody remember that? So is polio when I was a kid. But Jesus declared to the disciples, go ye therefore in all the world, making disciples out, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And then what else did he say? That's not all that commandment, is it? You say, lay hands on the sick, and they what? Why don't we pray in his name? Because... It's not laying on of hands. It's the name that causes. That's the commandment. You shall lay hands on sick and they shall recover. You shall drink any deadly thing. You're going to. God didn't tell us to be snake handlers. You, you, Paul was, he didn't handle a snake, but he didn't get bit by one. What did he do? Did he panic? Say, oh no, I got to lay. Tell my kids I love them. He shook it off in the fire. Why? Because he believed what he preached. If we ever get to believing what we preach, we're not going to let the world terrify us anymore. We ever start believing what we sing, revival's going to happen. Incredible revival's going to take place. You're going to, you're not going to be able. Landon. You will not be able to contain revival in that church when he and I are gone because that revival is going to spread so rapidly. You'll have 10, 12, 14 services every weekend. Why? You're not going to outbuild what God's going to do. And God sent us a test. To figure out how much we trust him. You think this caught God by surprise? God's not shocked. Why? Because God has never lived in time. He lives in eternity. As a result, God's already in tomorrow. I hadn't even got there yet. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Does he interfere and keep me from doing it? Well, sometimes he gives me warnings. If I'd heed to him, I could probably avoid a whole lot of dumb stuff that happened in my life. You know, I, I look back at all the bad things happened in my life, and, and a lot of them could have been avoided. If I just listened to that little voice, it indicated maybe that's not a good idea to do. He doesn't keep that from happening. He's timeless. He's not shocked. So all of a sudden this comes. And what starts happening? Well, in the beginning, families got real connected. Now, the police department's having to send people out on regular business to all the homes because they've been locked up too long together. So family violence is it's mushroom. It's exploded as a result. Loneliness is your enemy, not your friend. Your world needs to see apostolics truly become apostolic. I was raised between two incredible generations. My dad's generation and his relationship with God. See, my dad did not believe in God. Matter of fact, none of my dad's family were really spiritual people. They didn't believe. They really didn't go to church much. But mom and dad married, moved to Wichita Falls, Texas. I had an uncle in the military in World War II, a sailor. At the end of the war, he was discharged. And on a battleship, in the middle of all that fighting, he started reading the Bible. He read the book of Acts. When he got back to San Diego, he got off the ship. He wasn't discharged yet. So he started visiting churches all around the base, trying to find a church, preach the book of Acts. He couldn't find it. So when he's released, he gets on a train, comes to Wichita Falls, and when he arrives and the family's there to meet him and they all get together, it's a pretty good-sized family. I think there's a picture of my family in that old church on Kemp Boulevard in Houston, uh, in Wichita Falls, Texas, that there's about 39 people that were converted in about a six-month period of time that's in that picture. He comes to Wichita Falls and starts telling the family, I've read the book of Acts, and, and this is what's happening. And, and, and he said, but I can't find anybody to preach it. And Teddy, my older brother, said, well, I know somebody that preaches that. There's a church on Kent Boulevard to preach. I, I go to church, school with the pastor's daughters. I know they believe the book of Acts. So Uncle Ernest went, he got the Holy Ghost, got baptized. Wasn't long after, mom got, went, she didn't get the Holy Ghost, and, and, and they tried to get dad. Dad said, I don't know that stuff. Dad worked in a, a machine shop that built leaf springs for huge trucks for the army, for the military, right during the war and at the end of the war. His job was to temper that piece of metal. Once it was built, he had to temper it. So once it was rolled into its shape, he had to stick it in an oven and get it hot. And he'd take it out and put it in oil and stick it back in that oven. He opened that oven one day to stick that piece of steel in there and he saw a vision of hell. He dropped his tools. He told his boss, I'm going home. And the boss didn't ask one word. He said, okay, Mr. Hughes, I'll see you tomorrow. He didn't ask why. Dad pulls up in the driveway. Mom meets him at the door. What's wrong, Egbert? Let's go to church. Call the preacher. I need him to meet me at church. Mom and dad get in the vehicle. Head off to Kemp Boulevard. 
W.R. Holly met him at the door. And dad said, I saw a vision of hell. I need to be baptized and I need the Holy Ghost. And he got baptized. If I'm not mistaken, got the Holy Ghost that day. That irritated mom because she hadn't got it yet. And on the way home from church one night in the car driving home, she got the Holy Ghost, started speaking in tongues in the car on the way home. That's how we got here. And I remember as a kid, my dad would walk into people's presence and they'd say, ooh. He'd shake their hand and they were, what are you? What's wrong? I felt something when you touched me. Dad just smiled and said, oh, I'm Pentecostal. I have the Holy Ghost. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. See, the, the difference when you live the life, it starts showing up in your feature. When Moses came off the mountain, they had to put a veil on him because he shined. If you ever get the Holy Ghost, you'll start shining. You'll, if you start really living what you believe, we will bring the greatest revival Houston, Texas has ever seen. It will happen, and it won't be a long time in the future. That revival is starting, and it will continue and mushroom if you as the younger generation decide I'm going to go up every mountain my pastor goes up. I'm going to be right beside him. If we're going to fight a battle, he needs to raise his hand. I'll be standing on one side holding up one arm and on the other side holding. So we're going to fight this thing. We're going to conquer this. I don't care how much chaos that fire marshals cause. It's time you start using prayer to control that bunch, okay? If you just become who you have the power to be. Let me tell you something. I, and I, I, you shouldn't have told me I didn't have any restrictions on the last session. <laughs> I was confined by time first hour. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Satan don't want that building finished because he knows what's going to happen the moment it's finished. They mess up the carpet order. Instead of sending us 100 feet, they send us 100 yards, which is 30-something feet too short. They get the, the, the colors mixed up and don't send us. And they made they did the layout. Everything could go wrong. The devil's tried to stop it which lets me know how incredible the revival's fixing to be that starts at this place and starts spreading around the world. But it will not start and won't happen if you want Joshua or you want, you want Aaron to change the doctor. Get, just build us an animal that we can play around. Revival will happen when you're willing to go up a mountain with the prophet. And when you, you're willing to make that commitment then you're going to see incredible things start taking place. God sent me here to challenge you today. You're the future of this church. I'll be gone probably less than 10 years. I did do what the Bible said. I did honor my father and mother, so that means he might add to my days. But 348 days from today, I'll meet 70 which is the time frame he gave me. And I realize my life span is incredibly short. And I'm not going to see all the great things God's going to do, but you are. But you better let God know you're willing to climb the mountain with the two leaders that God placed in your life. And if you're willing to go up the mountain with them, 
There's no telling where God, you got to be the priest of your home. You got to become, you, you are now the tabernacle of God. He lives in my heart and I have his presence living here. Now I have the authority to use that presence and I can change my world if I choose. Paul walked into a world that didn't believe in anything in less than 100 years. The New Testament church changed the entire world. We have that same power, same Jesus, same Holy Ghost, and we can go anywhere and become anything we choose if we choose. Please stand. Behold, I stand this day looking for the Aaron and Caleb of this generation. I'm looking for those who are willing to become the backbone and structure of what I desire to do in this last day. If you're willing to make that commitment, you'll have to get past the distractions your world has given you. But if you'll get past those distractions, I will take you on a journey and I will reveal my glory to you and you will see the hand of God in every aspect of your life. My desire for you is good, not bad. My desire is that you have a blessed life. But if you listen to what your world is trying to influence you with, you'll miss the opportunity to climb a mountain. They'll change your life. Revival is my plan. My word prophesied it. My word does not lie. Revival will happen. And you can participate and be part of it if you desire Mm. Is there a Caleb here today? Is there a Joshua here today? We stand at the entrance to the promised land. <laughs> 